Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Newsboys charge the platform. Their cries a racket of startled birds. Aleman ultimatum. Aleman ultimatum. Papers flap above heads. Explosions of white wings. Disembarking passengers press forward. Clots form. Movement stalls. What is it, monsieur? Marie Therese all but shouts. The elderly man is a little deaf. He's also laconic to a legendary degree. L'Allemagne encore, he says, his eyes on the arrivals from Ostend, Germany again. Fragments of an old history lesson rise murkily through layers of other old lessons. The Franco-Prussian War, the cause of which does not rise murkily. She recalls, though, that just over a month ago, a young Serb shot the Archduke of Austria and his wife Sophie while they were in an open car on their way to visit a hospital in Sarajevo capital of Yugoslavia. Both died. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Joanna Iggins about her novel, In the Fall They Leave. It's August of 1914, at the start of World War I, and 19-year-old Marie Therese is in nursing school in Belgium. She's plagued with self-doubt and disappointment, worried about making mistakes, and sure that she's going to fail at nursing just like she failed at music. But Marie Therese turns out to be stronger than she could have ever thought possible. Hi, Joanna. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. So how did you come to write this book? I came across an article years ago that fascinated me, and it had to do with Edith Cavill, a British nurse who was teaching in Brussels, and she was there at the outset of World War I. And I was so amazed by her courage and what she did. She defied the occupiers who had invaded Belgium and Brussels, and her goal was to save Allied lives. And I thought, this is amazing. This is just amazing. So I I tucked away the idea of Edith Cavill 
for a few years because I was working on other things. But then a few years later, I decided to research it and learn more about this incredible woman. Ah, so um, interestingly, you didn't choose to have that nurse, the, the, the matron, as your main protagonist. Instead, your main protagonist is a young nursing student named Marie Therese. Why is she so filled with self-doubt? Well, it's a good question, the choice of protagonist. I went around this uh, for a number of months because initially I wanted to write about Edith Cavill. But as I researched her life, I realized there was so much written about her stage plays, novels, and she's a very famous figure in England. There are clinics named after her in schools and even a mountain, a mountain is named after her. And I, the more I read about her life, I, I saw her as a very strong figure, but she was, she was not conflicted. She had an objective. She wanted to do good in the world, and she didn't have any qualms about what she was doing. So I thought, what if I created a student, a fictional student at her school who has been very familiar with failure after being in a music academy for a number of years? And what if she's idolizing this woman and trying her best to be a success as a nursing student and then as a nurse? And what will happen when she sees her country occupied by a foreign army? And these draconian laws put into place telling her that she cannot help any allies. And so I thought, there is the drama, you know, there is the conflict. And so she became my my main character. So was your research about Edith Cavill or about the circumstances in Belgium during World War One? I? I had to meander everywhere for this novel. I read first about Edith Cavill, and then I began to research the political situation and the military situation. And one of the books that was very helpful was Guns Guns of August by Barbara Tuckman. Because when you're when you're embarking upon a historical novel, you have to really immerse yourself in the period almost as, well, in fact, as if you're living in that period. So you have to know a 360-degree aspect of life that these people would be living. So I went everywhere in the research. Mm. Did you also go to Belgium? No, you know, I did not. Um, Well, I have to say that this was like almost at the... No, it was pre-pandemic, but even so... I've done other historical novels, particularly a Civil War one, and it had to do with a a prisoner of war camp. And people asked me, did you go to visit the prisoner of war camp? And I said, no, because it would be all different now. And so what I relied upon was going to battlefields, which were more like parks, you know, like untouched parks. So for this novel, In the Fall They Leave, I immersed myself in photographs and sketches of houses 
And also, first-person accounts, I find those extremely helpful. You know, I didn't want to go, well, I could have perhaps gone to Belgium, but I didn't want to go and see a really contemporary city and then try to figure out how this might have been a hundred years ago. So, so instead, I worked on on primary sources, you know, diaries, personal accounts, newspaper articles, and then I just trusted imagination. I tried to get the broad facts correct, and then I used imagination. So interesting. Because you capture the fear of failure, a doubt that nursing students like Marie-Therese probably face to this day, I wonder if you were also a nurse in another life. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't a nurse. Um, I, I, too, had some experience with the piano, so I used my experience as a pianist. But I think I called upon the universals, especially for writers, especially writers working in obscurity. Uh, we're always confronting our own demons, our own self-doubt. And so I pulled upon that experience of, you know, the self and wanting to see how, how you overcome that, because that becomes part of the conflict. You know, the fear of making mistakes is large for some people, not, not everybody, but for some people. And it was for me, especially when I first started writing. Is the side story of the two little orphaned girls based on something that happened? And if not, what interested you about that? The the two children, um, they they came from my imagination, but I had been reading a lot about the atrocities that happened when the German a couple of German armies invaded Belgium, and they told the people not to resist. They said, "If you resist, we're going to treat you as an enemy." And Belgium at that time was a neutral country. But yet, it did not want these invaders to come through their country on the way to France. So they put up resistance. And in retaliation, the German army did a lot of pretty awful things. And what happens in the novel is taken right from historical accounts at the time. So there were houses and farms burnt out, and there were many orphans created. So my two little girls become emblematic of the greater scene in the country. Yeah, I see that. Um, There's a very sweet exchange in which the two nursing students are trying to figure out why Germany is attacking. Can you you (laughs) go into more detail about that? Yeah. um, Marie-Therese has a roommate who's German, and Marie-Therese herself has German ancestry. Her father was from Germany. And they've got the invaders coming into into Brussels now, and there's a huge parade going on. It takes hours for the German army to go through the, the city. And the girls decide not to watch it. But they're in their room trying to figure out why this is happening. And of course, the one roommate, Ronnie, is German, and she says, you know, I don't know. People came into my classroom and tried to explain all this, and they ranted about it, 
And I just thought more pleasant thoughts. You know, (laughs) she was probably daydreaming and not paying attention. She said, so I don't know why they want to do this. And then they decide, the two girls decide that it's probably because they simply want more, more territory. Why? They don't know. The girls don't know. And it, and it's, I think it's typical of ordinary citizens who don't understand the nuances of really what's going on. Even, for example, in Ukraine, when some of the um, war talk happened a year ago, there were people in a pub saying, oh, no, you know, Russia's not going to invade. We know they're not going to invade. And these were people in the Donbass, right at the borderline with Russia. And so ordinary citizens don't have a real feel for what might be going on around them and why. And I think that's part of the um, the angst that later happens is we don't understand how we ended up in this predicament, but now they have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. The gardener plays an important role, but so do the two dogs. Can you say there's a? Uh, can you say more about that? Your imagination was really running wild in this book. <laughs> the dogs. Well, let's do the gardener first. I love the gardener. He's a Polish man, and I based him on my grandfather, uh, who um, was Polish. And not that my grandfather was in the military at all, but he had that sort of stoic quality about him. And he would speak a lot in Polish and give the aphorisms, not to the extent that the gardener does, but the gardener represents wars of the past and that he had lived through. And he has these very, he doesn't speak much. And as Marie Theresa reflects, it's because people who have seen a lot often don't say a lot, but he has these little sayings that he gives every so often that stand in for his feelings. So I liked his his terseness and his quietness, but also he had a courage to him that, and a nobility, you know, just an ordinary person with nobility, and that appealed to me as well. Now, what as, about the dogs? As for the dogs, uh, the big wolf, part wolfhound and the part shepherd dog, Edith Cavill actually took in some street dogs Oh, she, she was a very caring person, and she loved animals as well as, you know, people. And so, I I decided to give her these two dogs. Uh, I I wasn't. I know she had a big dog. I saw a picture of it, a big gray dog. It was probably a wolfhound. So the two dogs became characters in a way in the story, and um, they were fun to write about. I enjoyed writing about them because. Uh, they had these feelings, you know, that they would get all excited when Marie Theresa was going to leave and then she didn't. And then they mobbed her and she, she has to deal with their noise. And she's afraid that the German director of the clinic at this point is going to, you know, do something about it. So so the dogs have a great presence in in the novel and yeah. And they distract. They distract sometimes in a really important way. So yes. Yeah. Um, things change. Everything changes when the German doctor Manfred Kuhn arrives. What's his? What's going on there? Well, let's see. the The actual director of the of the clinic uh, was sent to the front, and when the German army came into Brussels, 
they began to put their own officials in all of the major offices in the city. And so the clinic was one of them. So um, Dr. Haram Manfred Kuhn was installed as the director. And he has given, he's been given the task of trying to make sure that no allies come to that clinic. And if they do, they have to be turned over as prisoners of war. And this is true. This is based on the history. And of course, Edith Cavill, being Edith Cavill, sees that as a violation of her oath, the Nightingale Pledge that she took and that her students have taken. You have to treat everyone, no, no matter the nationality. And so he begins, the new director begins to tell the girls to spy on one another. And of course, Marie Therese is just terrified out of her wits and he's staring at her and, and he's asking her for her word and she gives it. And then she's wretched afterwards. You know, I gave him my word that I would spy on everybody here and that I would turn in any allies. So this then becomes part of her anxiousness and her fear because she now has to figure out, does she violate her word? And then the worst part of this is he promises her a wonderful career. You know, if she becomes in a way his eyes and his ears, he says, I'll get you a position, a great position anywhere in Europe. And this is, of course, what she's been longing for and striving and working for. So it's kind of the proverbial bargain with the devil, you know, the Faustian bargain. He will give her this great life if she violates her oath and spies on her fellow students as well as her matron, whom she adores. Mm-hmm. Um, Marie Therese is shocked to hear, to learn that her 16-year-old brother ran away and joined the Belgian army and got injured. How was that possible? How did they let a 16-year-old kid <laughs> join? They were taking uh, uh, people even younger. And as as the doctor comments to Marie Theresa, he says, well, you know, even 14 is not too young to serve your country. So they were taking very young people. Mm. And, and um, now Jacques, the brother, runs away. That's Germany. Jacques runs away to join the Belgium army. And of course, he can easily falsify his age because he's a large boy. He's been playing soccer. He's very strong. And um, we get the idea that that's what he's done. He's actually falsified his age. And he went to look for the Belgian forces who had been dispersed by the German invasion. And they were in retreat. They were kind of hard to find. So he's looking for them. Mm. Um, Marie Torres despises one of the girls, Lisa, because of something she did. Could you say more about that? Yeah. Lisa, Lisa, uh, Lisa. Oh, she was a fictional character. It it almost seems that in every school there is almost someone like her. She's very pretty, very accomplished, but she spreads stories. And this is the way she ingratiates herself with other people. She 
gossips, in short. And so when Marie Theresa first comes to the school, she's very, very insecure because of having failed at the academy with music. And Lisa tries to take her under her wing. And Marie Therese doesn't understand that she's just kind of being milked for information. And so Marie Theresa confides in this girl, Lisa, and tells her about her past and how disappointed her mother is in her because she's failed her mother's expectations in the arts. She's left the arts and her mother is devastated by that because her mom is, her mom was a great ballerina. And um, to Marie Therese's dismay, she finds out that Lisa has spread this story all over the school. And so all the students look at her and Marie Theresa understands that they all know about her past and her failure and her fear of failing at nursing. So it's an excruciating experience for her. So she vows never to tell Lisa anything again. Yeah, she's a character, that Lisa. Yeah. Um, but there, you're right. There always is someone like that in every school. And it's sort of like a rite of passage, a, a growing up. Uh, something that everybody has to understand that you can't say everything you think because there's there might be someone who takes it and runs with it mm-hmm. and uses it. It's a something everybody has to learn, and you, that was a really beautiful um, scene. It showed how something about how Marie Therese grew up. She was forced to grow up. Yes. From that. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a lovely story and very moving. So. What are you working on next? Are you still in the 20th century or further back? Well, I'm I'm having fun with something that's totally out of my area. I've been writing realistic fiction all my life. And I just decided to take a kind of leap into speculative fiction. And um, I had been reading some books about technology and discussing technology with with our son, who was studying computer security. And I became fascinated with this whole field, which I hadn't thought much about before. And in in time, some ideas began forming about uh, a kind of an updated Brave New World kind of story. (laughs) I know. So I've been playing around with that idea and just enjoying it immensely. And who knows, you know, it might go nowhere, but it's been fun to work with. There's a lot uh, There's a lot about society that you can make fun of and point out. So I'm interested, looking forward to hearing that one. Anyway, thanks, Joanna Higgins. It's been lovely talking to you today. And I wish you the best of luck on this book and further books. Thank you, Galit. It's been a great pleasure. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Joanna Higgins, author of In the Fall They Leave. Hope you all have a good book to cuddle up with tonight and every night. Happy reading.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.